This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. This evening, please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Looking tonight at Hebrews chapter 13. I'm doing something a little unusual uh, in that I am taking verses from a couple of different sections um, for thematic purposes rather than just consecutively through the passage, but a couple of verses uh, that have to do with the whole matter of leadership and, and our response as believers to leaders in the church. And so what I want us to do is look at Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 7 and 8, and then go to verse 17 through 19. Hear the word of God, uh, Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then skipping down to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Thanks to God for his word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask this evening as we take up this study of your word that by your grace we would grow in our understanding of its teaching. Father, we pray for your blessing in our study and on the preaching of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. In this final chapter of the book of Hebrews, the writer goes to a number of practical, uh, applicatory thoughts we've already seen in this first part of the chapter where he's concerned that brotherly love uh, prevail in their fellowship with one another, uh, taking the forms of hospitality, taking the forms of strong marriage, taking the forms of contentment, freedom from the love of money, uh, sense of the presence and provision of the Lord. Well, in these verses that we've just read, he takes up this matter of the relationship of these believers to the leaders of their churches. Uh, we don't know for certain the exact historical situation. It could be that some of these to whom he writes have actually begun to distance themselves from the church. Uh, we gather that from the warnings that he gives to them against falling away, to the, to the warnings he gives them uh, not to neglect meeting together, as he says is the habit of some, 
but rather to come together as the body of Christ for worship and for fellowship, and that they not grow weary. Uh, They lift, as he says in chapter 12, verse 12, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight paths for your feet, and so forth. Well, here he describes their leaders, and while we may not know the exact historical context that uh, was the situation when he wrote, we certainly know what he says. And what he says applied in their day, just as it applies in our day as well. And so there's a couple of instructions, really, that he has for them. We'll flesh it out as he does. But basically, a couple of instructions. One, to remember their past leaders. And two, to obey their current leaders. Remember their past leaders and to obey their current leaders. In verses 7 and 8, he says to them to remember your past leaders. Now, this is past tense. It does seem that these were leaders who had been over them, but were no longer. Notice he says, remember your leaders. Well, uh, we can remember someone who's very much a part of our lives, to think of them, to do something for them, uh, something like that. But notice his past tense, those who spoke to you. The word of God. It seems he has in mind those who at one time were their leaders, but are not any longer. Uh, those who uh, very likely were now with the Lord, whether dying of natural causes or uh, perhaps of martyrdom. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Notice what he wants them to remember. First of all, those who spoke to you the word of God. These were those who who preached to them, who taught them the word. In fact, that seems to follow the word leader so carefully that it seems that their primary act of leadership was speaking to them the word of God. There would be more to it, of course, but that seems to be how he defines them, how he categorizes them. Remember your leaders, that is, those who spoke to you, The word of God. He says, consider as they remember them, as they think about them, uh, to remember their faithfulness and speaking to them the word of God. He says, consider the outcome of their way of life. That too seems to hint that the final chapter had been written. Notice John has on the book table the biography of John MacArthur that Ian Murray wrote. just came out within the last month or so. And as I said before to you, Murray says this is not the definitive biography of John MacArthur, if for only one very good reason that John MacArthur is still with us, and every day there's still more to write. Uh, so he's still with us, and we could consider the outcome of his life, but it doesn't have the sense of finality that he seems to indicate here, that their life is complete, that the final story, the final chapter has been written, and that the record of their life is now set, it will not change, it is what it is, and it is open to inspection. It is available for evaluation. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Now, as he says that, we want certainly to think about that in our own situations. Uh, those who preach the word to us, those who uh, whose lives uh, have been complete, and we see it, and we see the outcome of it. Uh, I'm sure you could think of examples. Several came to my mind, particularly pastors that I have had over the years. I think of, uh, of Dr. William Stanway, who was pastor uh, of my home church when I was uh, little, who actually baptized me. 
Uh, I really didn't know him because he, he left when I was very young, but I actually got reacquainted with him when I was at Reform Seminary. And he was still there, uh, really not overly active at that point, pretty much retired, but still be on campus. And I had the opportunity to visit with him and talk to him uh, in a way that I just didn't when I was three or four years old uh, when he was my pastor. Uh, think of uh, other men uh, who, who preached and taught the word, look at the outcome of their way of lives, their lives. Uh, men like uh, Reverend Ed Justly, who was pastor not of my home church, but uh, Bay Street Presbyterian Church in Hattiesburg, had been there so long and seemed to know everybody in town so well. He was known informally as the Bishop of Hattiesburg. Um, but yeah, look at his life. Uh, think of others, uh, Tom Cross, who was in my Sunday school class when I was in Westminster Presbyterian Church in South Carolina, uh, who himself had started, uh, among others, Mitchell Road Presbyterian Church in, in Greenville, uh, Nursery Road Presbyterian Church in Columbia, and many others as well. And you think of those who, who taught the word, you look at them, you look at the outcome of their way of life. The way of life. These were men who loved their wives. And married to them for a very long time. These were men who were faithful in ministry over the years, men whom God used, men who left behind a faithful witness, faithful testimony to the gospel, to our Savior. Uh, you look at these men uh, with with joy uh, at what they accomplished. I had the privilege of being a pallbearer for Dr. Cross at his funeral. And uh, the funeral was a celebration of this man of God and how God called him to himself in adult, young adulthood and used him so mightily in planting so many churches and uh, influencing so many for the gospel of Christ. But that's what he's saying. Remember your leaders. Look at those. Look at those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. We look at that and say, do you want that? Do you want that to be the record of your life? Do you want that to be the legacy, the testimony you leave behind? Well, then we need to consider what it was that got them there, which was their faith in Christ, was their diligence and repentance and obedience. Were they perfect? By no means. But their life is a testimony of faithfulness, and the outcome of it was good. And he says along those lines, imitate their faith. Now, a couple of chapters, of course, earlier, Hebrews 11, he sets before us various figures from the Old Testament. Uh, figures, men, sometimes you might look at them and scratch your head and say, really? They weren't perfect. There was sin in their lives. Uh, people he mentions like Jephthah, like Gideon. But what he's pointing to is not the totality of their lives, certainly not their sin, but their instance as fallen human beings, by the grace of God, acting in faith, trusting God, taking him at his word. Were they perfect? No. But their lives at various points particularly demonstrated what it means to live by faith. And that's what he's saying here. Think about those who influenced you for the gospel. Look at their lives. Imitate their faith. Now, he's very particular. He doesn't say imitate them. He says, imitate their faith. What was it that made them what they were? What was it that enabled them to minister the way that they did? Well, it was their faith in Christ, their trust in God, their confidence, as we just sang, that whatever God ordains is right. There's a temptation among young ministers particularly to imitate 
those pastors, preachers, either who they know personally and have great influence on them, or men who are well known on uh, the, the church uh, stage across the nation, for example, uh, those who are well known to imitate. And, and almost any young preacher inevitably goes through, you know, his, his Charles Spurgeon stage, or his Martin Lloyd Jones, or his John MacArthur stage, or John Piper phase, you know. Uh, in fact, Jane Petit has caught me occasionally uh, channeling Roy Taylor. And I suppose that's somewhat natural because my conception of preaching was very much shaped by him early on. But, you know, it, it even gets ridiculous of imitating gestures, imitating speech patterns and so forth. That's the wrong thing to imitate. Even imitating their flaws, which is really weird. They're bad habits from the pulpit. Uh, what are you to imitate? Well, don't imitate the particulars. Imitate the man's devotion to Christ. Imitate the man's devotion to the Word of God. Imitate his devotion to be faithful to preach what the Word says and to preach the gospel of Christ that it proclaims. And let the particulars fall where they may. And that's true not just of preachers. It's true of any uh, any Christian, and young Christians particularly, who will pray like someone that they've heard pray, that they respect and look up to, uh, who may even adopt in their vocabulary the same patterns or expressions that they hear in Christians they admire and have learned from, or maybe even currently being discipled by. And so we do imitate, but be sure to imitate the right thing. Don't imitate the particulars. Imitate the heart. Imitate the core. As he says, imitate... Their faith, imitate that same faith in Christ that they had that enabled them to influence you and others for the gospel. Earthly leaders come and go. There are leaders in the church, pastors, teachers, Sunday school teachers who've influenced us who are no longer here. They're with the Lord. They come and go. But as he says in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. I'm taking verse 8 with verse 7. It kind of transitions to verse 9. Uh, it sort of pays the way, segues into verse 9. But if we're talking about leaders who have passed, well, then he comes back and says, but you know, Jesus is our leader. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so ultimately we're looking to him. But he does say, remember your leaders. Look at those uh, who spoke to you. Consider their lives. Consider the outcome of it. And imitate their faith. And we pray that by God's grace, later generations may be able to look at us and see the outcome of our faith in Christ and imitate it and learn from it. But not only to remember past leaders, he goes on to tell them to obey their current leaders. Now, I think there's there's something important about that instruction, I think, that goes beyond just the face of it. Because there's a temptation in the church to look at past leaders with rose-colored glasses and current leaders with pretty dirty glasses. There's a tendency to look at past leaders, even those we've known, certainly maybe those we haven't, uh, men that we admire, respect, look up to, men like Spurgeon or Edwards or Lloyd-Jones, to name a few of my own heroes of the faith, and, and, and almost see them as being somehow above the rest of fallen humanity. 
They weren't. They had their faults, their sins, their short-sightedness. They had their impatience, their discouragement, sharp words spoken in anger. It's like the rest of us. But you see, we tend to, because their record is sealed, and because perhaps of some historical distance, to idealize them. Uh, Whereas, in fact, had we known them personally, our view might have been different. But you know me. We know our current leaders. You know pastors you've had, your pastor you have now. Um, it's, It's much harder to idealize because we see the reality. We see a flesh and blood human being. And so there's this temptation to look at their past leaders as somehow more glorious than they were and look at their current leaders as somehow less than they are. And so he says in verse 17, obey your current leaders. And here he's speaking present tense. Notice what he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, we tend not to like that word submit. We, we often get into trouble with that word uh, in the context of marriage, of wives, Ephesians 5, right? Wives, submit to your Husbands. Well, our culture does not like that. You know, I think I've told you before of the woman attended our wedding who uh, later came to Barbara and uh, with sarcasm dripping from her tongue said, are you submitting to your husband? Because uh, one of the pastors in our wedding spoke on Ephesians 5. Just complete contempt for that word. The idea of wife should be in submission to her husband. Well, that's true. But, you know, we come to a passage like this, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. And there are many church leaders for whom that is appalling, anathema. If not the idea of it, then the practice of it. A session gives counsel or instruction or admonition. And they think, well, who are you to tell me what to do? Scriptures say, obey your leaders and submit to them. When you take a vow, when you join this church, you take a vow to be in submission to the government and discipline of the church. You are vowing to obey God's word in Hebrews 13, verse 17. That's all you're doing is saying you will do what Scripture says, that you will be in submission to the government and discipline of the church. It's the shortest vow. It's often the hardest vow to keep, to fulfill. Obey your leaders and submit to them. By the way... Keep watch, as he goes on to say, they are keeping watch over your souls, has the idea of chasing away sleep. The etymological root of it has the idea of being sleepless. Keeping watch means staying awake, even when it would be tempting to fall asleep. The assumption here is that these are faithful shepherds, that these are leaders who love the sheep and care about them enough that they may be disturbed for them or concerned for them for the point they may literally lose sleep over them. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. By the way, that's why it's important to be a member of a church. One, to be part of a congregation where there are elders who are watching over you. And membership, because that draws the line. Otherwise, how do elders of a church know who they're accountable for? Are they accountable for every believer who walks in the door? No. Someone may walk in today, walk out tomorrow. 
Unfortunately, there are churches that have no conception or practice of membership, and that line of who the, sh- who the shepherds of the church are responsible for isn't there. Uh, a key passage along these lines is First uh, Peter chapter 5, sort of a, the flip side of this, instructions Peter gives to elders. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Uh, to shepherd them, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, and so forth. Um, those that they are responsible for. Membership defines those who are among them. Uh, elders, uh, elders of this church are not responsible for every Christian out there in the world. They're responsible for those who've taken a vow to place themselves under their shepherding care and leadership. So obey and submit, because certainly ideally, these are men who care about you, who are pursuing your spiritual welfare, and therefore your submission, your obedience is for your benefit. And he says of those shepherds, they are doing so as those who will have to give an account. In that same passage, Peter mentions uh, verse 4 as an incentive to elders, to shepherds, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of Glory. That's in the case of faithfulness, that reward of being faithful as shepherds over God's flock. But uh, sort of as a side warning to shepherds, to elders, to church leaders, they are accountable to God. We are, I am, accountable to God for you and for my shepherding of you, which includes preaching, but it also includes, of course, on a personal level, as are our, our elders. He goes on to say, let them do this with joy, not with groaning. In other words, do everything you can to make your elder's job a delight and not a woeful, burdensome task. Uh, That it would be a joy. In 3 John, verse 4, he writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I assure you, elders have no greater joy and to see the members of the church pursuing Christ and following Him and obeying Him and living for Him. It's among the most heart-wrenching things we can do to be engaged with uh, a church member who is living willfully contrary to God's Word. It is, it is absolutely gut-wrenching, and it's painful. It is difficult. It is something that leads to just inner groaning. But let them do this with joy, not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. When your elders work, when the church leaders work as a joy, that is to your advantage. And normally it should be a joy. It should be something in which they should find their, their joy. But in large measure that has to do with you and your response to their leadership. And then the other thing he says, and somewhat indirectly, verse 18, pray for us. So obey your current leaders, it means obeying and submission. Uh, but also he mentions praying. Pray for us, for we are sure we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. A clear conscience in terms of obedience to God, but also I think in the context, a clear conscience in terms of discharging shepherding responsibilities that he's done what he needs to do. He's got a clear conscience before God that he has been faithful. Think of Paul in Acts chapter 20, uh, where Paul says, you know, the record stands before God and men. I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Your blood's not on my hands. Paul says, I have discharged my responsibility to you and teaching you 
the whole counsel of God, the gospel for your salvation. And he wants to be restored to them. I urge you all the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. And so as a church leader, there is a desire to be with them. There is an affection for this flock of God's people that should be present in those who lead the church. They're not indifferent. They're not detached. Uh, They're certainly not using this leadership as a position for self-service to lord it over the flock in any such way. But there is an affection there that's demonstrated in his desire and that they would pray that he is able to be restored to them the sooner. And so as he wraps up this this book of Hebrews, he's concerned about their response to and their relationship with their leaders. He says, remember those past leaders. Look at their lives now that the record is written. What do you see there? Consider the outcome of their lives and imitate their faith. But. Remember also to obey the leaders that God has placed among you now. The patina of age has not allowed you to view them through rose-colored glasses, uh, but to to obey them, to submit to them uh, as they're faithful in carrying out God's uh, instructions to them and their accountability before the Lord. And so it really falls on both sides. The place of the church Congregation and following and submitting to the leadership and the shepherding of their leaders, but also the responsibility God's placed on the leaders to be faithful. The amazing thing is, as those dynamics are in place, you find peace, you find church growth, you find church health, you find the blessing of the Lord, you find the furthering of the work of Christ in the world. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that it would be so here, and pray, Father, both for faithful congregants, faithful leaders, we pray, Lord, uh, for all of us, that our lives would demonstrate such an outcome that those who see our lives either currently or in days and years to come would look at our lives and see a testimony that commends Christ, that commends the gospel. Father, we thank you for this, your word tonight. We pray that we would uh, remember those who have led us in the past. And Father, thank you for those who lead us now. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.